0: Get into the action all summer long. Listen to that. Summer. Woo. The season's over. The, the NHL season's over. The NBA season's over. But there's still lots happening in sports interaction, including we got the draft coming up. We got free agency coming up for both of those sports, plus tennis golf, whatever it is you're into, baseball, all happening right now at sportsinteraction.com sdpn. You can bet on those things. You can bet on free agency and draft. Exactly. And we're going to actually have to throw a bunch of props up in the dangles doozy section as well. Um, and remember, everything's uh, you can do before games, live and play, all summer long, head to sportsinteraction.com sdpn or download the app to get started. It's 19 plus. Please play responsibly.
1: Welcome to Nailing the Apex, everyone. I'm Tim Harney. Please head on over to Spotify. Give us a five-star rating and a follow. Same goes with Apple Podcast Write a review, so it helps us grow the show We're also on YouTube, so you can watch us there You can follow me on social media At Tim Haraney Joining me today from Graf's, Uh, It's Mr. Michael Bauman Michael, I-, I love the hat How are you? Can you describe the hat, please?
0: Yeah, it's a, a hat from a music festival in New Jersey That I didn't go to And my wife, I think, felt bad for leaving me home So she bought me a souvenir And I'm using it to cover up or sort of an ambivalent hair day, I would say. So,
1: <laughs> so were you in the doghouse and your, your wife went and left you at home? Is that what
0: happened? Yeah, basically.
1: Yeah. <laughs> you want more from Michael and to uh, see where else you can purchase one of his nice hats. You can get him on Twitter <laughs> at Michael Bowman. Um, okay, so after the Canadian Grand Prix, I think a lot of questions were raised of, you know, are the teams starting to catch up with. Red Bull I think the the gap was down to about oh, I think it was around nine seconds in Canada but you know Helmut Marco also had said he's he's said a lot uh, over the past few weeks but as he had said it was something to do with track temperature which was interesting but George Russell today you know he made mention that he feels like you know they're coming back to the pack so Red Bull is coming further back to to to, to them um but he still feels there is a bit of margin to be gained for all the teams. But at the end of the day, after watching uh, the race in Canada, Michael, what'd you, what'd you think? Do you, do you think they're starting to come back?
0: Probably a little bit, but I'm not like, you know, tapping my fingers together, waiting for uh, this epic title battle to unfold. I think that no. the gap is just, <laughs> no. it's just huge. And so if it's, <laughs> You know, if it's a, a four tenths of a second in qualifying to as as opposed to half a second, then cool. But yeah. like at this point, I don't think it really changes much about the uh, the pr- trajectory of the competitive balance, which is you know nothing. Red Bull is going to remain out in front for the rest of the season. Yeah. I do wonder if that occupy or if that. Uh, interacts with something that I think we're going to talk about later, which is Red Bull starting to shift focus to 2024, yeah. which I would if I were them. Yeah, exactly. They, yeah. that Who's going to get them at this point?
1: Well, yeah, and that's the thing. And, and you know, Lewis Hamilton was speaking to the, uh, to the media on Thursday, and, you know, he actually came up – it was pretty interesting. He'd suggested, you know, a way of slowing car development down. So, you know, if we look at Lewis Hamilton – uh, the dominant cars that he's been able to drive and obviously he's driving them incredibly well at the same time. But outside of that, it's kind of like when the team recognizes that, you know, they're whatever hundred points ahead of everybody else, then they can start the development of next year's car sooner, which then that hurts the competition because the competition is still trying to figure out the current year's car. So they can build on that and then put it into the following year's car, but they're already behind at that point anyways. So that, allows that team out in front to hold on to that dominance and Hamilton you know had suggested um a way of slowing that car uh development down and basically would ban teams from being able the idea would ban teams from being able to work on early car development on the following years so you know suggesting that there be a start date to when teams could start working on their car um I thought that was interesting, uh, Michael. I don't know what you think about that, but like I thought that was actually a, kind of a good idea.
0: It's it's how it works in F one manager. You're not allowed to start working on <laughs> next year's car before uh, uh, I think it's some sometime in April. But so I've I've a couple comments about this. One is wow, I can't believe that Lewis Hamilton wants to. You know, to have a restriction on how fast you could uh, <laughs> focus on next season. I wonder what he could possibly have to gain by this. I think uh, it
1: also, also has to do with, like, you know, the entertainment factor, right? Like for, for us watching it at, at home, because at the end of the day, it's like these dominant periods have been in F1, not not necessarily just for Lewis, right? Mm-hmm. It's also for Schumacher. They were there for the Senate Pro days as well. They were there for the Red Bull days as well with Vettel. So I, I understand what he's saying. Like, I get it. I, I like the idea. I think it's smart. But, yeah, sorry. Cut you so off, there's,
0: <laughs> Yeah, there's a couple. One, I'm not sure how you'd enforce that because with a relatively stable rule set year to year, I mean, we have, as you know, these big chunks of, uh, you know, the rules change in a big way. For You know, they change in 22. They will change again with the new uh, engine formula in 26. You know, they changed in 2017. But, like, from a year... To your perspective, outside of those, uh, you know, major rules overhauls, there's a lot of continuity. So the work that you put into this year's car will appear on next year's car, unless you're doing a completely different uh, concept. And even then, some of the stuff that that McLaren's doing or Mercedes is doing uh, now will inform how they uh, construct next year's car. So I just wonder, you know, how you'd even do that, but also. I don't like just as a matter of philosophy, restricting, putting restrictions on development. I, you know, I don't like the cost cap. I don't like uh, the the very like very proscriptive rules that that Formula One has been putting on uh, aerodynamic development and engine development. I wish that there were more ways to attack certain development problems, and now it's just sort of slowing everything down. And I I think that there's a big Bet in terms of um, F one's commercial and competitive direction that they think that they can. Uh, they're calling it, you know, tightening things up. I just, mm-hmm. I wonder if this is a. We're going to get a little far afield here. I'm going to go on a rant, so just buckle <laughs> in. It's, it's. I know you said off air that you love when I have grievances, and I didn't <laughs> expect it to happen this, uh, this soon. But I've been thinking about what F1 is doing in terms of uh, the cost cap. And I guess like, you know, when I was reading about the, the uh, new bids for, for the, uh, the tire manufacturer, you know, whether we go Pirelli or Bridgestone, that what they're doing now is sort of capping the innovation of the sport, that this is primarily an engineering competition. uh, And they're trying to level the playing field in terms of engineering in the name of basically keeping costs down and hoping that, your average fan isn't going to notice that they'll be watching, a you know, maybe a worse product. They're not watching this sort of cutting edge innovation that, that has defined F1 since its inception and, uh, and nobody will notice. And that's sort of the bet that F1 is making. And so I don't, you know, the more restrictive, the, the car development rules, I think the, the worse off the sport will be from that sort of purist engineering perspective. And so mm-hmm. I, I, You know, I would love to see a more competitive order, but I honestly, I'm not sure that uh, that Hamilton's suggestion even achieves that, because I think the way that Red Bull comes back to the pack, like we were talking about this year, is they focus on next season's car. And, you know, Aston Martin, Mercedes and Ferrari all have an incentive to continue to develop right to the end of the season. And maybe at that point, things close up and we get, you know, some four way fights for for race wins by the end of the year. But if Red Bull is forced to continue to develop this year's car, and if we think of that as a distinct thing from 2024, then they're just going to stay ahead and nothing's going to change.
1: If they, but if you're restricting, like, so since they have that reduction in wind tunnel time, CFD time, though, that restricts, you know, that level of development for later on in the season where, where we look at this season, it looks like, you know, Red Bull has really put a lot of that, Into the beginning of the season And now you're starting to see it From my perspective you're starting to see that Trail off a bit because of that Reduction in you know wind tunnel Test time and then also you had the cost Cap on top of that because then they'll Start to push up against it if they Decide that they want to keep going On down this road I I Like the idea from the fact that if If a team teams uh, Were to start Say on like September 1st And that's when the development race starts for the following season. I like that idea because that actually, you're really having to push up against things. Your engineers are having to like think outside the box faster, quicker, even though they already are, but they have to do it at a more increased rate, I would say. Um, and trying to keep the cost down. I just I just think it's important for these teams and it's something we can get into later because uh, we'll talk about the Alpine thing and Ryan Reynolds and all that stuff. But I just think the cost cap is such a a crucial thing that they've introduced to save these teams from themselves in terms of like blowing through hundreds of millions of dollars. I don't think that's
0: a good thing. I think that like one of the things that I liked about (laughs) F1 was the teams will go boom and bust that I don't think that, I don't think that these commercial organizations have a right to be profitable no matter what. I think that they need to have, you know, there needs to be a little bit of peril for the people who are investing or the, you know, the companies that are, that are investing in these products. And also, we're talking about competitive balance. Do you think that Red Bull's advantage would be this big if Mercedes knowing they went down the wrong path last year, like if they're restricted to spending $170 million now, if they could go back to spending $400 million a year, don't you think they could have closed the gap faster? And, you know, I think that, that in terms of time, first of all, are you going to tell Adrian Newey he can't think about next year's suspension until September 1st? Like it, it doesn't really work that way. And the other thing is all that's going to do is just put more pressure on the engineers who are already overworked because of the staffing reductions and the cost cap. And there's, you know, there's, it's, it's like any cutbacks or or layoffs in any workforce. The company expects the same amount of productivity from fewer and lower paid employees. And I'd, you know, just I'm, I'm bummed as I'm as bummed as Lewis Hamilton is that, that the Red Bull is this, this far out front. But I just don't think this is the way to to go about it.
1: I'm curious to see how the rest of this season, you know, goes, considering if we look at the engineering might of Mercedes, they've made a, <laughs> they've made a huge gain coming you know, get getting back into this sort of fight, let's call it, in the constructors with Aston Martin for, you know, second. I mean, obviously Red Bull is just way too far ahead, but for Mercedes, I mean, they're the way they've they've plotted their way back to the top of the championship or top of the pile, I find it's interesting because Whatever they're going to keep learning this year, it's like you had said they can put it into next year's car. Yeah. They do have more of a challenge when it comes to uh, reworking their tub because of where they put that side impact structure on the car, so that, that they'll arrive uh, to next year's grid with a brand new you know tub, and it'll be it could be tough because you're, re- you're reconfiguring your whole chassis at that point, yeah. and so that's why I just kind of say, okay, look, if everybody gets the same start date to when they can start their development, you know, I just, I just think that kind of levels the playing field even more because, you know, the people who work on these teams are geniuses. Like they're, they're always going to find a way around something and it's, you're never going to, you're never going to be able to beat that off. But I think the more sort of like, Roadblocks you can kind of put in, the more it kind of makes things a little more entertaining for us at home. That's the way I look at it. But
0: yeah, I I think that these people are geniuses, and I'd rather just let them cook. I think the more you know, obviously, right. But then you're gonna restric-
1: like blow... like Williams would never be on the grid anymore. I, I like, you know what I mean? Yeah, well, I know. So, but like, then you're gonna, instead of having twenty cars, now you're down to eighteen. No, you're and not you're because, 16, and then, no,
0: because if they, first of all, they've never like they've never had problems filling out the grid and it, like, there's always been at least 20 and you get like, not every car is going to be competitive. I think you could be okay with that. I think there's a very North American outlook to, to, to sports that just, you're just making the product worse for, for the sake of profitability. And then, you know, there's, there's always been back cars and, you know, under the cost cap is Williams any closer to or they're a little close to the front. Are they much closer oh, to the front than they close. were, you know, a couple years ago? It,
1: I would say no. so. I mean, they're, well, they're only missing out on They're like, going in the right
0: direction. G- right? They're definitely yeah. going in the
1: right direction. But if this were not a cost cap era, they would be blown out of the water and there would be no way for them to catch up. If we, you can use the midfield as an example for the cost cap because it is the closest midfield we've seen in forever. I don't even remember a midfield that's this close. I mean, if you take a look at, Miami, the difference between someone getting through from Q1 to Q2 was a 10th and that's carried over into the, the fall of these following Grand Prix that we've seen. So I've never actually seen from like, oh, we'll use Red Bull. We'll just remove both cars from, you know, third fastest car to 20th fastest car. That, that gap is not that big. I've never seen it that small before. And I think that is thanks to the cost cap and that the Restrictions and CFD design and wind tunnel and all that kind of stuff.
0: Um, how yeah. much to but so then, pe- so the dominant narrative of, of this season then is how competitive it is, right? And not that only one team oh. has won the first uh, uh first eight races, not that only four drivers have finished in the top two, not it's that like there's Fernando,
1: It's like Alonso had said, right, Bowen, when he was like, if you remove you know, the, both Red Bull cars. This would be a season. We would be talking about the season as being like an epic. You know, Formula One. And, and they One said the same
0: thing about, uh, you know, about Ferrari in the in the early two thousands. But it's, you know, you don't remember like I, you know, I, I guess diehards like remember the great Jensen Button drives to third with with BAR. But oh, yeah, yeah. It, it, Red Bull is this far out in front, and and the, the very measures that are that are closing up the midfield, it's not producing surprise podium finishers. It's not, you know, how much do, do fans care about how close the gap from 6th to 11th is? You know, I think if anything, it just leads to kind of a confused, chaotic order. We don't really get a, a good sense of, of who's out, you know, of who's on top within that midfield battle insofar as that midfield battle at all, it or matters at all. It's, you know, my viewpoint on this season, just, you know, frustration that like that. And I guess the other thing is with more ways to at- approach this problem, you would probably have more variations uh, in car design. You'd probably see,
1: yeah,
0: you know, the Red Bull wouldn't just be the best car on every track. There might be mm-hmm. tracks where, you know, the Aston Martin, maybe there, you know, there's a a car that, you know, that's the Ferraris you know, playing up and qualifying that that might mm-hmm. matter more on certain tracks or, or having, you know, a car that is better in slow speed corners than fast. Like there would be an advantage, mm-hmm. you know, somewhere that would pop up somewhere and you'd get a, an unusual winner. And I just don't know where that's going to come from. And, and part of the reason that, that order has been has been so sticky this year is because like if don't you think that Mercedes and Ferrari would want to throw unlimited resources at this problem you know I'm sure they love they love cashing these checks but I think they want to win and you know you're doing you're doing things that prevent organizations that are motivated to to put out the best product you're doing things that prevent them from doing that
1: But then I think like you then decrease the value of the team if you're spending four hundred million like in a in a season and you're not getting that money back via the constructor standings like money like because the payback isn't even that big, the marketing spend is very big and it's arguable whether or not they make that money back within a year. So then that devalues, I think, your team at the end of the day. Who cares like well, I think like own it, but I always approach it from the standpoint of like, if I own something, I want to make sure the value of it's going to be high. That's sure. all I will invest in it, but I want to make sure that. Do you if own I want stock in and-
0: Ferrari? Do you own <laughs> no, stock in Mercedes?
1: I actually <laughs> looked at, <laughs> I actually looked into that. And, uh, it's actually kind of expensive to own stock in like, you know, Ferrari. It's. To, to buy a share is actually pretty expensive,
0: but yeah. Uh, so like, what do you care what the share <laughs> price is? I like I I I know what you're you know the point you're making is like this is what like you're playing along with the people who are actually making these decisions, and I think it's important to understand where they're coming from and how they're going to behave based on their own uh you know their own incentives and motivations and interests. But we don't have to agree to to evaluate the sport by those rules, I think is a, you know, where I think a lot of people get lost It's like understanding that this is how things are is that's all well and good, but we don't have to want that just because the people, you know, the money bags are, are it, it, just because that's what they want. And so that's I, sort of, you know, I'm, be, I'm being like purposely a little difficult here, but that's sure. why, Cause
1: I, I just want to see good racing. I yeah. just want, I, I want to see good hard racing Uh, that's what I want. I mean, if we go back to 2021, you know, the reason we had good hard racing, the regulations were stable. You had a small tweak in the, the regs that that actually pulled Mercedes back to the rest of the field. We had an epic season. Every single race was great. There were storylines like bountiful because of everything being so close and so much contention, not only for, you know, drivers one and two, but you know, drivers, 6 7 and 8 same sort of deal it was great and so when i i look at what you know f1 wants to try and do i get on board with it because i can see like i understand the vision of how to try how do how do they try and close this gap so we can get yeah. some good racing on the track because the more dominance you sort of get it kind of waters it down from the standpoint of you've got an influx of new fans and we've never seen it this popular you know, North America and you want, I think you want to try and hold on to those fans as much as possible. And I think the best way of doing that is having great racing on the track. And that's just the way I look at it. The importance of getting, do you want to keep going on that? Do you want me to switch? Cause I,
0: I'll keep going as long <laughs> as long as you let me basically, I'm not really sure what fans want. Cause I think back to, to 20, you know, 21, that's like, it's going to go down as one of the best seasons in F1 history i it, i like obviously everybody was in, invested in that and yeah, i don't great. know if it's realistic to think that you can replicate that every season and i think f1 knows that but you know i think back to 2020 that was a great season too and you had all sorts of surprise winners surprise podium finishers you could do and like this is the genius i think of of drive to survive is that it makes those midfield Battles matter like you care who finishes Fifth you care about people getting On the podium and I think like showing that to American Fans who are very like who are very Rings focused you know I think That that was that was an important Step in in breaking You know breaking into the um, The North American sports Consciousness but now we're not Not even getting that and I don't know you Know I 2020 Mercedes was not quite as dominant as Red Bull is now but it was close But you're still getting surprise winners, surprise podium finishers. Um, You know, you could it just didn't feel this predetermined. And some of that will change itself naturally, because I think that I don't think that the cost cap is going to be what does Red Bull in or the the aerodynamic uh, testing restrictions. I think it's just going to be they're farther along in this concept and they will eventually have picked off all the low hanging fruit and Mercedes and Ferrari. As to Martin Alpine, the others will come back to the field. And by, you know, by 2025, I think it will have closed off, you know, closed up quite a bit. But do we want to wait like a year and a half? Like I want, I don't know what the answer is other than just be patient.
1: But then you get into the fact that if we go to 2026 and it's not confirmed yet, whether or not the, you know, the, the aero regulations are going to change. That's not like set in stone, but the engine regs will, but yeah if you have another big regulation change like that again like we're we're just going to get another round of dominance right you're just yeah. going to get and then but but then you're going to get convergence and then it's going to change again yeah. so it's kind of like you'll have you know whatever 3 years or 4 years of dominance and then you'll get that one glorious year where everybody came together and it was awesome but that's like i want that every year <laughs> That's
0: what I want. And, and a lot of the changes, you know, making the engine simpler, you know, attracting new manufacturers like Audi and Ford into the sport. All that's good. I think that that's yeah. that's great for oh, the yeah. sport. But and so it's necessary to do, you know, to have that sort of regulation change for for 26. Um, but like you said, it's pro- somebody's going to get it right fast. And the hope is that that advantage isn't quite as durable as it was in. You know, in the past couple seasons, or even Mercedes in twenty fourteen and seventeen, and I don't know. But what what F one is trying to do, which is get like stylistic variation and you know having close racing and having you know enough. I have articulated it this way on a podcast last year that we did, where like you have enough variability that upsets happen but that they still feel special. I think that that's mm. a sweet spot that we had in 20 and 21 and you know I don't I hope we get back there before the engine regs but but that's not something that F1 has had a whole lot of. You have seasons like that throughout its history. Mm-hmm. Particularly not, you know, in the in the um god since you know 2009 since those big you know the skinny yeah, skinny wings and slick tires and stuff. That was the last time that uh, that there was like any that there was balance. Usually, it's just somebody gets it right and then just rides off into the sunset before, and then everybody catches up. And like you said, they change the uh, change the regs again. So I don't know. This is not how I would run the sport, but so few things, <laughs> so few things in this world are run the way I would run them.
1: Uh, Alpha Tauri. So yeah. they're not going to be Alpha Tauri next season, according to uh, Helmut Marco. Um, good. Okay. Okay. So, but, but the goal with all this though, I think is trying to make them more of a B spec team instead of like the sister team. Right. And so with, yeah, no, exactly. Not good. So you're also trying, they're also trying to introduce, you know, Laura Meckies, who's supposedly coming in with Peter Beyer, And now, now you've got a pretty serious team and I don't, I just, I I understand the the A team B team thing. I mean, you got like Ferrari, and then I mean, Haas isn't a B team, but Haas does use quite a bit of their technology and things of that nature. But I just I I like to see see teams stand on their own two feet and try to make as many components as they can. But I mean, essentially, they could take a lot of this year's car. Yeah, on, I mean, you wanted it on t- next
0: year's. You were so worried about losing Williams a couple a couple minutes ago. Like that's almost what did them in. Was they tried to bite off more than they could chew? So, I think in a in a perfect world, I agree with you that every team would be standing on its own two feet. But that's not really realistic. And I, you know, I I tend to want a bigger grid and more you know ways to get on it. So I don't really have a problem with with Red Bull. um, Having a having a B team and sort of being open about it, I, I the name change I think is welcome because I hate the name Alphatari particularly because there's Alpha Romeo on the grid that you know half the grid starts with A and it's just <laughs> annoying and you know th- and they went from the you know the cool uh, branding to to more you know just another blue car whatever um, so wh- wherever they go I think it will look and sound better. It is now. And I think that, again, this is another thing that happened sort of 2021 is that they, they were like a legitimate midfield team that, you know, Red Bull was sort of running different operations in parallel with the the senior team built around Max Verstappen and sort of like a, like a clone, you know, built around Pierre Gasly. And I think Mm -hmm. that just having that quality of, of car and driver is something that has really only happened maybe for three years in the entire Toro Rosso. Uh, I just Alpha butchered Tauri, that pronunciation. Man. Sorry to all the, the Italians out there. Uh, slash Alpha Tauri, uh, uh history. And this team's been around in its current guise for about 20, for almost 20 years now. And so, I don't know. It's kind of sad. I, I wonder if this is part of the, if if we're going to look back in five years and this is the first step in in Red Bull divesting from its second team, that now that these teams are so, I mean, the Alpine thing, the, you know, Ryan Reynolds buying in is, is mostly interesting to me because it puts a solid dollar value on how much these teams cost. And so if, if Alpine is worth 900 million, you know, can, you know, can Red Bull just sell off Atari to Andretti or, yeah, or Hitech or whoever? Yeah. I, I think that's we're going to look back in a few years and we'll look at this as the first step toward that happening. Cause without Dietrich Mateschitz sort of steering this, I wonder if the, the, uh, the parent company is just going to be like, you know, we're getting a ton of value out mm-hmm. of, out of Red Bull. Mm-hmm. Why do we need another one? You know, what, what is that really giving us?
1: And then when you go to, when they go to sell, like the value of it is going to be, you know, twice that of whatever they paid for it. You know, back in the day, God, it'll and be and they'll, they'll make
0: it'll be ten times
1: what they paid for. Oh, a hundred percent, and they'll make yeah. so much off of it. So, I could see something like that where, like, they invest, invest, and they build the team up, and then that also builds their uh the value of the team up is at the same time, and they go and they sell it like you had, like Which you had said I, will I think,
0: warm the cockles of your heart at you know being so yeah. concerned with team values as you are. <laughs>
1: I am actually no. I think that would be great, and, and then you know you rename Mr. That Stock to a, Price over here. Well, let's say like it falls in into Andretti's hands. Mm-hmm. That's that's awesome. I think that's great. I, you know because like I've said, you know I'd love to see the Andretti Group get a team on the grid. You know I think we need more American involvement uh, within the sport in terms of the teams. I would love to see it. So yeah, let's. You know, let's go. Uh, Charles Leclerc said on Thursday um, that he and Ferrari have slowly begun contract extension talks. Uh, you know, lots of speculation about his about his future so far this season. I mean, we had what the rumors to Mercedes, and then we had the 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 article that came out that Hamilton was uh, had received an offer from. Ferrari, and no one knew what was going to happen with Charles Leclerc. Uh, His contract runs out at the end of 2024, Um, but Leclerc did say, also, quote, when I say we slowly started talking about it, it's just here and there, but nothing special. Uh, Nothing special. End quote. I don't even know why he would want to move teams anyways, to begin with Bellman. He's got it really good where he is.
0: I mean, he might want to not have to be constantly sabotaged by his own pit wall. Because um, I think like the the Ferrari thing is kind of a meme, but I think that Leclerc more than signs, like just wants to be put on a strategy and, and go execute it. Um, he doesn't want to have to second guess his race engineer all the time. So I think that but absent some kind of frustration that is that bubbles up enough that he actually leaves. You know, I, I do think that there's everybody but Verstappen. And I guess Hamilton too. Verstappen Mm -hmm. and Hamilton are staying put. and But that next class of like future world champion drivers, which is, you know, Leclerc, uh, Norris, Russell, maybe you throw signs in there, you know, and to, I guess, a slightly lesser extent, uh, Gasly and Ocon. Mm -hmm. Those guys are going to be jockeying for whatever they think the, the best seat is, whether that's Audi, whether that's Aston Martin. And once those, you know, whether Lando Norris moves to one of those teams, like that's going to be a domino that, that shuffles around the rest of that generation of drivers. And so I don't, it never made sense to me that Leclerc would be the first to move, but I do think it would be in his interest to look elsewhere. But like you said, he's very well betted in Ferrari. I think it would just, he would have to be convinced that they're not going to give him a chance to, to fight for a championship in the next few years, Uh, which Maybe he does become convinced of that, but I, at this point, I would bet against him moving uh, like I probably one more contract and then maybe reevaluate it again.
1: And I feel like I, I, you know, and as a, as a former driver, you can never really, you know, stay glued to any one team, even though it's nice when you can be, and you can have that relationship uh, with the team and you do feel wanted uh, because, you know, it makes your job a whole heck of a lot easier. But yeah. I think for Leclerc, I think he also feels like he owes Ferrari something because at the end of the day, they're the ones who got him to where he is. You know, he was a part of their driver development program for a long time. They helped him get into Alfermeo. Then obviously they switched him over to Ferrari, but yeah, I think he owes a lot to them in terms of that. But I think for, I I think for Leclerc, Ferrari just holds that, you know, special place in his heart where like, Hey, this is a place where I want to win championship. I want to get Ferrari back on top. And that's sort of my goal. And, and that's kind of like when I sit down and I talk to him, that's kind of like what I, I get from him. Like what I understand from him is that, you know, this is the place that he does want to be. And so the fact that they're talking slowly quotation marks uh, about an extension, I mean, it doesn't surprise me one bit. I think it's a smart place for him to stay as well. Cause I don't like Ferrari is starting to understand their car a little bit more now. And having taken a step backwards to take, you know, a step forward, you know, they have done that with this upgrade they brought to Spain. Uh, so I think they're on the right track, and like, And I, almost, I I think that they can eventually fight for a championship. And I think it's a smart place for him to, to hang around, you know? but
0: Yeah. I don't have a better idea for him right now. Not really. The Mercedes like, thing was kind of interesting, but also yeah. there's not going to be like he could run out this contract, sign another two year deal, and maybe then there's an opening at Mercedes. But who yeah. knows where you know where these cars are going to be relative to each other a couple years from now? I think the point he made about like he feels like it owes he owes it to him. I think he's paid that debt back at this point. You know, it's been five years and he's won several races. He's honestly he has made that car. Throughout his time with Ferrari, look a lot better than it is. Like he especially drove, last season, yeah, last season he drove the wheels off sure. that oh, car, and yeah. in in, in, uh, right. in twenty one too, and you know, um, and and twenty, like how many times was he on the podium? And Sebastian Vettel, who's you know a four time world champion, like couldn't you know couldn't get that Strung car it. at a yeah, yeah at a Q two half the time, yeah. and so you know I think that Leclerc, I wouldn't put it in terms of like he he owes anything to them, but I do think that that emotional uh, attachment, I think it exists with, with Ferrari the way it doesn't with almost any other team, you know, and, and you saw how much it meant for, um, for Vettel, for Fernando Alonso, guys who didn't come up through the Ferrari system. Uh, It, you know, it's sort it's like playing for the Yankees and that's a, that's a huge draw. And so I think that you would have to, you know, this isn't like Lewis Hamilton leaving McLaren or Lando Norris leaving McLaren, uh, where like I, I think that emotional attachment would be slightly harder to to override for Leclerc, just because Ferrari is Ferrari.
1: We spoke about the the Alpine and the uh, consortium that had uh, paid into the F1 team a few days ago, Adam wild was on the show and we talked about it, but haven't really got to discuss it with you, you know, obviously it's a $218 million investment that that consortium has, you know, made that includes the maximum effort effort group of Ryan Reynolds, Rob McElhinney, Michael B. Jordan. Um, and Monty do, from they, waiting
0: has made yeah. so much money,
1: <laughs> but, but like the, the, what is it? The red, the red bird financial investment, like institution. I'm butchering the name and Otro capital at the same time. Like they do have like expertise in, in sports and other franchises, like the, the Fenway group, right. With the red Sox mm-hmm. And they have, they have uh, also with the NFL NBA uh, also think P- Pittsburgh Penguins as well. Yeah. So they like, they Williams have, ex- better, yeah. they have experience with franchises, right? Do, what do you think they can do here with Alpine that say Alpine can't do on their own? Like, obviously the money's nice, right? They need, they, yeah, they need I, the uh, money. They need that investment and Renault needs them to have that investment at the same time, but outside of all of that,
0: I think it is a backstop against uh, Renault losing, you know, we, we, Dump on Honda for not being able to make up its mind about whether it wants to be involved in, in F one. Yeah. Renault adds a little bit of history of to that too. Yeah. Uh, so I think having that, you know, as a backstop, the commitment to, you know, make sure that that the primary or the the majority owner like maintains an interest. I think that's important. You know, I don't know what the the crossover value is though, because you know, if there was a whole lot that you could learn from, you know, Fenway owns. You know, a piece of a NASCAR team, obviously, but if there was a whole lot of NASCAR F1 Mm -hmm. crossover, you know, or IndyCar F1 crossover, like you would expect that to show up in Haas and McLaren. Red Bull ran NASCAR for a while um, and they sucked. And so this wasn't good. (laughs) Yeah. So I don't know. I'm I'm sure there's some like sports management um, uh, lessons to be learned from people who have expertise in other sports, but I do think, you know, F1 is, is kind of its own animal. And, yeah. uh, I, I think that apart from seeing Ryan Reynolds around the track more, which he's a handsome man, we we'll, you know, I, we all enjoy looking at him uh, wherever he is. But apart from that, I, I think the, uh, it'll, it'll be limited. The impact of, of this.
1: I, I think so too. Like, I'm interested to see where it goes. And I don't think it's something that happens, Uh, right away because you know f1's got the drive survive series right with netflix and then the the restrictions you know i think also that f1 places on their you know content video content all that kind of stuff you you can't really dive into that too too much i mean i think if this group were to do anything they would have to i think they would have to try and mine for stories within the team itself like crew members, engineers, the area of Endstone. I don't actually think that there is anything like on track that they can necessarily help tell a story because F1 already does such a great job. And then the team also does a good job of it too. So yeah. I, I just don't see anything on that side, but the star power that they do bring in that investment, I think that's going to be crucial for this team to become a world champion one day because you've got Renault who's clearly looking to like not, not distance themselves, but at least get that investment in. So they're not pumping cash into something that, you know, they probably could invest more in because I don't really think that that team is getting the amount of investment that, you know, potentially it could get, I think because, of you know it's the this the factory's a little old they don't have like a ton of that state-of-the-art equipment that a lot of the top teams do and that's kind of going to help you move you know raise your game and get you up within the you know aston martin's mercedes ferrari red bull because that's what they've had to do so i'll be interested to see how this goes long term um esteban Ocon uh said today that he's already uh spoken with uh reynolds so apparently uh The two chatted over WhatsApp and Ocon was sending photos to Reynolds of himself in the simulator, showing him what it's all about. And Reynolds was all excited. He wants to learn more. Uh, I guess he got invited to the Deadpool set in the UK, apparently for whenever they start filming, if they already are. Um, So the drivers are excited, Bauman.
0: (laughs) Yeah. yeah. Uh, One thing that I wonder if, if uh, having the, this sort of celebrity investment group will impact, is I think that uh, as F1 has be- has become um, more popular in North America, I think we're, there's another wave of like marketing, advertising, sponsorship over here that I think is still yet to come. And maybe you know, yeah. it, it's, it's Renault's good. not a a manufacturer with a huge footprint in the U.S. Uh, you know, I know they're trying to make Alpine the Alpine sports cards happen yeah. here, but you know, you see a little bit. You know, Red Bull Honda has had commercials over here. You know, I think it was Microsoft with either Microsoft or Google with uh, uh, with McLaren and the and Williams has been getting a bit of mileage out of the Duracell sponsorship in the yes uh, in the U.S. But, you know, there, I think there's more to be done. And so yeah. I, having this sort of this North American minority owner with, the you know, the, a lot of marketing savvy, I think that'll be yeah. Uh, we might see Pierre Gasly on billboards over here. That might be the the impact.
1: Yeah, I agree. Um Helmut Marco, like I'd mentioned closer to the top of the show, you know, he's been in the news quite a bit uh lately. And it seems like every time you're on, we're talking about Nick DeVries. And I'm yeah. sorry, dude, but like oh my god. So Marco had said a few days ago um that he and Christian Horner don't often disagree when it comes to driver signings but apparently they did with DeVries so according to Marco speaking on the Inside Line podcast Horner wasn't uh, he wasn't a fan of DeVries uh, he then said quote basically it's Alpha AlphaTauri but we're a big family we get, uh, we get opinions he meaning Horner was not a fan of DeVries and I would say at the moment it looks like he was right uh, do you think if like I mean the, the tracks that are coming up like Nick well, no, Yeah. And I think that's going to help. But like, do you think he turns this thing around and changes some opinions within, within Red Bull?
0: Probably not. I don't think so.
1: You think it's already set?
0: I mean, well, first of all, like, man, it seems like a lot of fun to work for helmet Marco. Doesn't it? Uh, <laughs> yeah.
1: This
0: guy, like <laughs> we're like not even halfway through your rookie F1 season. Helmet Marco is like, I thought this guy didn't suck. Good and I was wrong. And like, <laughs> Like take it to G chat, man. Like this, you don't need to be saying that stuff on, on a podcast, but yeah, I mean, and also I don't think this is particularly earthshaking news. Cause DeVries is an unusual pick for Alpha Tower. We know he wasn't yeah, their first true. choice that he was the fallback when they couldn't get Colton Herta in the seat. And, you know, they were sort of, I guess to a certain extent, like kind of doing Pierre Gasly a solid by letting him leave. Like, you know, I, don't think he. I don't, I don't. think anybody at any point thought that Nick Devries was the number one uh, option for Alphitari. And you know he's been kind of underwhelming. So you know that said, this is a very difficult sport to get on top of, even for somebody with extensive, uh, you know, extensive experience in other single seaters. So maybe there's a, a breakthrough to come. And uh, you know the Alphitari's been uh, sort of on the edge of the points a few times. I, it could be one of those things that we we do just need the dam to break for him, and, and he'll so, sort of settle in. But at the same time, like, the midfield is very crowded. It is very difficult now. It's more difficult than it's ever been to climb from 16th to 9th. Yeah. And if, you know, as much as I was talking about, we don't really care who finishes 5th versus who finishes 9th. Like, we care even less who finishes 12th versus 16th.
1: ESPN F1 has reported uh it was earlier in the week that Daniel Ricardo would be open to going back to 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 AlphaTauri um, and then F1.com you know reported that I think AlphaTauri had or they had said a seat is available for Ricardo next season if he mm-hmm. you know wants it I I mean you know I talked about this before in the podcast I I I would would have my reservations about doing something like that if I were Daniel Ricciardo, but we bring it back to AlphaTauri being renamed something next season, being more of a B-spec car. That car is now a lot more competitive than it, than it is this season. That could be a different story, I think for Ricciardo.
0: Yeah, I think I sort of have my opinions about like what I would want for him and I think he's earned the, the right at this point to just do whatever makes him happy. I think that, you know, if you're looking at it from the outside, you're thinking about what gets him a shot at being a world champion, which we thought mm-hmm. was a possibility for him until relatively recently. And I think that ship has sort of sailed. So it's it's sort of like Latter-day Kimi Raikkonen where like he's a very popular driver. And if he wants to, you know, he didn't want to tool around in a, in a backmarker car uh, last year if he wants to do that now then more power to him uh you know i think he would be great in IndyCar. i think he would be great as a pundit i think like you know you can line him up as as millennial martin brundle right now uh and uh, it, but you know if he still thinks he's got some tread on the tires then go for it man um you know i, I was i, I was trying if... to I'm con... oh, yeah, sorry <laughs> <Yeah. I>
1: do nothing. <laughs>
0: No, I, I wonder if uh, if this is the result of of him taking that time off to sort of get his head straight. Because I think the the end of the time in McLaren seemed to be wearing on him, and I I, I do think like you know he's gotten his smile back a little bit, and now he can make you know a clearer and more honest appraisal of where he is in his career and what's what he wants to do for you know the last few years that he has the chance to raise an F one.
1: Yeah, the last few times I've gotten to sit down and, and chat with him, if I compare them to years past, I mean, he does seem like he has a lot more um, energy, feels he, I think he feels more rested at the end of the day. Um, and I think for him, it's just all about trying to see if his form is still there. The simulator uh, sessions that he's been doing, apparently they've gone really well. Um, and then obviously the team will probably understand more after he does this tire test after the British Grand Prix uh, but yeah I, I was talking to him about IndyCar like I was just saying like dude like you gotta give it a shot just check just check it out I mean because a lot of you know a lot of a lot of the f1 drivers are a little bit you know, hesitant about that because of obviously the ovals and the yeah. danger of that but i find that like you know i think roman grosjean a perfect example of,
0: europeans are cowards i can hear what you're <laughs> what oh i'm <you're> definitely saying. <laughs> not saying
1: that dude but like roman grosjean like his reservations with ovals but then once he got to the 500 and experienced yeah. it and saw what it was all about and how they get the drivers up to speed and everything like that it was, it was full time from there on out for him in IndyCar, and he loves it. And so I think, like, you know, I think like a lot of, I would love to see, you know, more F1 drivers doing that, that, you know, the crossing over like they used to do in the old days, man. Like, I love that. Yeah. I thought it was so cool to see drivers coming over to North America to race here and then going back and racing in Formula One. Uh, I just, I love all of it, man. Um, Williams. Yeah. Ninth in the constructor standings after a uh, very impressive performance from Alex Albin at the Canadian Grand Prix. Uh, That was an incredible drive from him. Tough one for Logan Sargent. Only lasted a few laps and then DNF, uh, mechanical issues. Uh, Logan actually gets the upgrades on the car for this weekend because Alex ran the upgrades in Canada. So now both of them will have the upgrades here for Austria. It's not the first time the team has done something like this. They did the same thing with Albin and Latifi uh, last year. Um, The upgrades have helped the car. Uh, according to Alex and yeah it was a special performance in Canada for for Logan I'm not I I'm not too concerned about the performance just yet you know and I would give him I, I would give him at least 15 16 races just simply because I I don't necessarily think and I would said this before that he was, ready to make that jump into into F1. And so I think for a driver like Logan, um, that just takes a little bit more time. Like his learning curve is way steeper than I think the likes of Oscar Piastri and Nick DeVries, simply because Piastri getting all of that time as the reserve driver, test driver for Alpine the year before we moved to McLaren. And then DeVries, obviously, with all of his experience with Formula E and then outside of that Formula 2, Formula 2 champion. So when I look at Logan, I'm not necessarily like all that worried. But I mean, yeah, I don't know. Some people it's been sounding like he's (laughs) been given a hard time at some points. But I I honestly think it just give this give this guy a little bit more time. And, you know, you'll see some things.
0: That's what I think anyways. Yeah, he hasn't been great. I do think, you know, we're being eight races in how many of those early. Yeah. Well, how many of those has he retired because of mechanical failures that weren't his fault? Like it's, so there are excuses to be made. I do think that that patience is going to run out eventually. Uh, But I think you're exactly right that this is not, you know, as much as I said, DeVries was not the first choice for, for AlphaTauri, you know, Logan Sargent was a fallback plan for Williams as well. And, so I think some allowance has to be made for the idea that he is a little undercooked uh, as a prospect. And I also like, that's a tough position to be in. And I think like Alex Albon, that car it's is not, not just easy that, to
1: drive. It's not easy to drive, man. And it's that's a tough car to drive.
0: Yeah. It's not that Alex Albon has just been putting up good results. He's been very good at executing alternate strategies. Like if you're in that Williams and you want to score, then you have to do something, you know, you have to take a lot of risks. You have to, you know, go on, on alternate tire strategies and, and Albon for whatever reason has been very good at executing that. I think that's a lot to ask of a rookie. Uh, And so, yes, I think we still need to be patient. I, but at the same time, I think that patience, I could see the end to that patience in a way that I couldn't maybe even like a month or two ago.
1: Interesting. I honestly would give him, like, a, I'd give him the year, to be honest. With you. Oh, yeah. Because when I, when I look at rookies, I always think that, and especially with Formula 1, because there's just, there's so much to learn. If they don't have that reserve driver duty role the year before, if they don't have that test driver role the year before, the learning curve is so, so steep. I mean, look at Yuki Tsunoda. is a perfect example, yeah. right? Three years, and now look at him. He's in his third year, and he's been freaking awesome this season. So I think it that just takes time for rookies in this day and era of Formula 1. Uh, traffic could be a bit of a problem here in Austria this weekend. It was a tiny bit in Canada. Uh, the track is really short in Austria, though. So I found it an interesting conversation that Carlos Sainz and Alonso and I'm trying to remember who else had, had a say in all this. I can't remember if it was Lewis as well, but essentially it was trying to come up with ideas of how could they solve the traffic issues that happened within q1 and so you know we've seen i mean it hamper some drivers Mm. so far already in the past we've seen penalties being handed out um science had a really actually a really good idea i actually liked it a lot if they did like a a single you know because they used to do single quality laps back in the day i think that they did it for a few years i actually kind of liked it um single lap quality, where you kind of for us the viewers at home you put a ghost car on the screen who is the fastest lap that the ghost car is the fastest lap so whoever it is and then you have the driver who's trying to chase it down essentially instead of you're just watching single lap quality, you're actually we're getting another level of that experience at home and i actually thought that was a really cool idea i liked it (laughs) i kind of hope they do it
0: (laughs) That would definitely be a lot more fun to watch than what we've got now, where there's just a lot of dead time punctuated by more action than you can track at once. Uh, And, you know, any way to even that out would be good. I do wonder, you know, the argument I would would make against it is that uh, with track evolution, like it would or you get changeable conditions or anything like that. Yeah, track evolution, that's good. It would seem... It would be very important how you determine the order that uh, that the drivers go in,
1: because
0: uh, yeah. now, but you know, it's traffic. the The traffic is sort of a, you know, it's a, it's an unavoidable byproduct of of how these things go now, where everybody's out there doing hot laughs at the same time, and one at a time. I I have no argument against it as a, a spectacle. Uh, but I do think that there would be some competitive questions that you'd have to answer.
1: Uh, Let's take some questions from Twitter. We'll start with uh, Richie Kepler. Uh, Would F1 ever look at making teams reduce overall length of the car as it seems to me this greatly affects overtaking? Well, you're not wrong, Richie, that's for sure. And I think, Michael, correct me if I'm wrong, but that's definitely something they're looking at um, for for 2026 is trying to make these cars a little bit smaller uh, and lighter. I don't know how they're going to do that, but
0: no, they, they can't. I mean, they, they talk about this all the time. I think that's exactly right, that the 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 racing would be better if the cars were smaller. And certainly it would be better if they were lighter. But they want to go all in on hybrid, which is inherently heavy and yeah, heavy, you know, going all in on hybrid. You know, bigger tires are heavier. Not having refueling makes the cars inherently heavier. Uh, you can't skimp on safety. Mm. Part of the reason the cars are bigger and bulkier now, you know, you can't have Sterling Moss running Monaco with, you know, half his, his body work missing anymore. Mm-hmm. Uh, so you it, there's just a lot of stuff that you have to have on the car and that makes it heavy. And you know, personally, I would like to see smaller natural, you know, smaller. Uh, internal combustion only engines but you know i think that that's a i don't know i've i've beaten that horse before nobody's listening because that's what the the auto manufacturers want is they you know they want to talk about the the hybrid technology but um yeah i absolutely want smaller lighter cars i just don't think that's what that's not what the teams of the series want
1: yeah, yeah, I, I'm on that as well. I just think it's so difficult to achieve that goal that you want to set out. Yeah. Um, from Mike Schmidt, how do you find the oh, new really? sprint weekend? There you go. Yeah, Mike Schmidt. Is it too much racing? I always find the Fridays the most difficult to follow with work and family. So actually, you know, I haven't really talked to you. Quit about your job, leave weekend. your
0: family, and there you, yeah, know, problem it, there
1: you go. Problem <laughs> uh, solved. Baldwin, do you like the sprint weekends? Uh, I mean, but now that they've changed, right? We have this different set of sprint yeah. weekends now.
0: Not really. Is, it's not for me. You know, I, I think just having the the quality, I, honestly, and you know, I'm not one of those people who has to watch every minute of practice either. Like it's, uh, so I definitely get the argument for it that like it's more meaningful track time. Like yeah. you know. I, you want that for your TV deal. You want that for the fans. Cause you mm-hmm. know, it's what's the point of going if, you know, I, I, do like the idea of having something meaningful on every day of the race weekend. Mm-hmm. Um, but I don't know. It's, I, it, the, it, it's not different enough from the, the actual, uh, race to, you know, make it seem like a different, you know, seem like its own thing. And it's, and in the respect that it is different, it's shorter. There's no mandatory pit stop that takes some of the variation and chaos out of it. Yeah. Um, so, as far as it being like its own thing, I do think it's nice that you can let the fluky qualifying results stand. Like, you know, I think about Kevin Magnuson being on pole for the sprint yeah. in Brazil last year. And then by the time the, the sprint race was over, he, f- you know, filtered back to where he probably should have started. Um, I like that those kind of weird results stand now. But, I don't know. I don't really have strong feelings about the sprint one way or another.
1: I, I, I like, I I wish, well, here's the thing. Like, I like the idea of it. I'm not a fan of the new format for this, for this year. I did appreciate, you know, the format from years past uh, because I felt like it actually meant something. I like the idea because it reminds me of like go-kart, my go-karting days, right? Like you would, you would have a sprint heat that would set your grid for your main you know your main event and those were always action-packed and it was it was a lot of fun as a driver i really enjoyed it because it wasn't just the same old practice qualify race practice qualify race like here it's it throws another wrench into things and i like that i just think and wished that it had more meaning on the entire weekend yeah. um from steven clary any chance for oh it's an IndyCar question. Cool. Any chance from Newgarden Erickson to catch Palo in the second half? Feels like Pillow is having a similar season uh, to Dixon in 2020 and won't be caught. And do you plan on attending Toronto in a few weeks' time? Well, Stephen, yes, I will be at the race in a few weeks' time. Balvin, are you going to be there?
0: No, I'm actually I'm going to be in Ohio during, uh, during the mid-Ohio oh. race, but I'm not going to be going to the race. It's something we've, like we go to Ohio every, every summer. Okay. It's usually, we're usually there when the race is like we've talked you know, talked about it, but it never, uh, you know, nothing has ever come of it. You know, my friends like having kids and stuff has really put a damper on our ability to like drop everything and go to an IndyCar race. Anyway, uh, anything is possible in IndyCar, uh, is my stock answer. So yeah. yes, I think that, you know, Alex Pelot, just because of the, you know the the races can be so unpredictable. The the point system sort of favors these big swings in the way it doesn't in F one. I don't think that a lead this far into the season is ever really unassailable. With that said, like, Pelo's having a hell of a season, and yeah. it, it, like it's. I, I was teeing this up when we were talking about Logan Sargent because you called him my guy. I was like, no, I was a Colton Hurta guy. And, you know, Logan Sargent was just the American who sort of fell into our lap. And then now I'm thinking, well, Alex Flow's basically American, right? So, like, <laughs> but he's been, he's been putting together that sort of raw speed and the consistency that, you know, makes, I mean, it defined Scott Dixon yeah. at his peak that, yeah. you know, I think the, a lot of the young North American drivers have sort of lacked in in Indy cars. They've been presenting themselves as potential F one candidates, but um, at this point, I think it's likely that Pillow will will win the championship. But you know, how many r- race weekends do they have left? You know, four, eight. So yeah, a lot can happen in that time.
1: Uh, yeah, I think so too. I agree with that because with Indy I mean, we've seen in oh my god, I don't even quite a few like it's been a lot of years where the championship has come down to the final race of the season and i i still see that happening uh now even though you know mike lee said it well that you know alex has i mean essentially he's been dominant i mean it, mm-hmm. it's, usually in an indycar season like drivers don't have as many wins as he's had they just don't like sometimes drivers only get one win Maybe two, but they still end up winning the championship. And so I do I do see an opening here for, for New Garden, for an Ericsson, to still kind of fight back and get back into this thing. I, I honestly do not see this thing over uh, whatsoever. Um, quick predictions from you, Bauman, and I'll give you mine for your top three at the end of Sunday's Austrian Grand Prix.
0: Uh, I guess another Max Verstappen win uh oh, okay <laughs> and i guess i don't know alonzo second hamilton third
1: yeah i was i was pretty much gonna say the same thing uh, <laughs> written down same as canada but i just think it's gonna be closer
0: yeah i think that's that's probably fair um you know red bull obviously tends to do well at this track it's a yeah i don't it's not my favorite in terms of racing i do think like in terms of scenery, it's probably the prettiest scenery in the in the entire calendar. I just love the way it, like goes through the hills. It looks like a great track to drive though. Yeah. Um, so I hope everybody has a it. good time. That's the most yeah. important
1: thing. <laughs> it's a fun track to drive. You know, trust me, man. It's it's a lot of fun. The se- second sector is 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 fantastic. I absolutely love it. Uh, thanks, dude, for doing this. I really yeah. appreciate it. Um, let everybody know where they can find you and what you got going on
0: um so you can find me on twitter at michael bauman you can read my baseball writing at Fangraphs. uh i am just returned from the major league baseball draft combine in mm-hmm. phoenix so i was out there interviewing a lot of the top prospects i've got a couple uh articles up from that already including one on uh uh i don't know if you know people uh listening to this will remember but uh monet davis the the uh, pitcher from philadelphia who's in the little league world series a few years ago uh mm-hmm. her catcher is now an outfielder at princeton and a fairly serious mlb draft prospect so i talked to him about awesome. you know the journey from little league to college to uh to pro baseball I also have a feature on vanderbilt outfielder uh enrique bradfield jr who's one of the fastest players uh out there right now we go in depth about base stealing and defense and stuff that'll be up uh probably next week. So some, you know, a little cool. bit closer to the draft. So I uh, had a lot of fun doing that. I hope you will have, have fun reading it.
1: That's awesome. Thanks, man. Thanks again for being on. Uh, I'm Tim Haraney. If you want more from me and get me on social media, Tim Haraney, if you want more nailing the apex, you can get it wherever you get your podcast, head on over to Spotify, five-star rating and a follow. Same goes with Apple podcast as well. Again, you can watch us on YouTube if you fancy, and we'll be back for a wrap up of the Austrian grand prix in a few days time.